we are ready to go. What's going on, guys? This is Nate and Friends, and I got two more videos for you guys today. Um, if you guys want any live updates on the coronavirus, if you look, there's a little ticker down below tells you what it is. As I just checked uh, from the Johns Hopkins University Live Map, and remember, always do your own research. So today I have the two other episodes for you, and I'm gonna get those going here right now. So it says part five and part uh, six, but I can't find part five, so it's just six. We're gonna do six and seven today, and then on the next episode, we will do eight, nine, and 10. Um, so that's how we're gonna do it today, because, uh, because yeah, because that's the way I wanna do it. So that's how we're gonna do it. So we're gonna go with six and seven today, and then we'll do the other ones on another day. So here we go, and ba-boom, we are good to go. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and start playing six. The swimming pool in the artwork bought by the Podestas actually exists. It is the subterranean swimming pool at Biltmore Mansion in Asheville, North Carolina. This was the home of multimillionaire Gloria Vanderbilt, who recently passed away at the age of 95. Here we have Gloria and her two sons, Anderson and Carter Cooper. Carter committed suicide when he was 23. Anderson is a well-known news reporter for CNN. Why does Gloria's swimming pool appear on paintings of tortured children? Is it a coincidence that the little boy so strongly reminds me of Anderson Cooper, Gloria's son? Could there be a connection between her swimming pool and the entertainment with young children for the elite, as mentioned in the infamous Podesta emails? Anderson Cooper son of Gloria Vanderbilt, world-renowned and award-winning reporter for CNN. He was caught overdoing it from time to time, making things look much worse than they actually were. But hey, maybe he's just a bit of a drama queen. At least it led to some funny responses on social media. The question remains, is it okay for a media outlet to deliberately broadcast such exaggerations? Is that honest broadcasting? Is it okay to influence the public with headlines such as these? Is it okay for the Dutch news network NOS to show a twisted version of an interview by BBC's John Sweeney asking Putin about the killings in the Ukraine, where the NOS edited the original interview so that Putin seems to walk away, ignoring Sweeney. Yet the original interview, which can also be found on the internet, shows Putin taking his time answering the question. Is it okay for several American news outlets to accuse Trump of raping a 13-year-old girl together with Jeffrey Epstein, a convicted pedophile? Is it okay that there's a deafening silence from the mainstream media now that the flight records show that it wasn't Trump, but Bill Clinton, who joined Epstein at his parties with underage girls on Orgy Island? 
Is it okay that Trump's words about MS-13 gang members being animals were totally twisted, obviously on purpose, so that he seems to refer to immigrants being animals? Do you remember the little boy from Syria sleeping between the graves of his parents? That too was staged and broadcast on purpose as to manipulate the people into yet another war. The boy was paid to lie there. I don't know about you guys, but this is not okay. It's not okay to fake white helmets saving a wounded man right after a bombing only to have a selfie taken. That's deceit. It's not okay to lie to the public about Syria and the alleged chemical attacks, so that yet another war can be justified. For months we were lied to by the mainstream media. Remember this poor little girl? You probably will, for she was used three times for three different rescue missions in three different months in 2016. I find that shocking. It is not okay to fake attacks on women and children to trigger an emotional response that justifies the invasion of yet another foreign country. I find it horrifying to see the well-designed deceit of Western people who watch and trust the news. Do you remember this one? I could go on for hours with examples of fake news, but I think this is enough. For now at least. I'll give you two more to digest. In 2015, during a presidential rally, Trump imitated reporter Serge Kovaleski, whom he had caught lying. It concerned an article from 2001, in which Kovaleski wrote about people cheering the fall of the Twin Towers. When Trump quoted the article in 2015, Kovaleski backed out, saying he didn't remember writing the article. Well, the article could easily be found on the internet, and Trump called out Kovaleski for his lie. But the mainstream media seized the opportunity and used these headlines, Trump mocks the disabled. Kovaleski suffers from arthrogryposis, but that does not cause the weird movements Trump made. On other occasions, and in exactly the same way, Trump had imitated Senator Jim Matisse, presidential candidate Marco Rubio, a general and a bank manager who all got away with lies. However, as Matisse, Rubio, the general and the bank manager were not handicapped, they were of no use to the mainstream media. Kovaleski's handicap, however, went around the world, convincing everybody that Trump looked down on the disabled. And I must confess, I too fell for it. Then, last but not least, for two years, the mainstream media kept pushing the liberal agenda on Trump and the alleged Russian collusion, whereas on March 23, 2019, the Mueller investigation officially ended and nothing was found. After two years of doing everything they could to take Trump down, they found absolutely nothing. Trump was cleared, yet the mainstream media kept repeating, something has to be wrong with this president. Trump's official innocence is completely hushed up, just like they didn't say a word about the countless pedophiles that were arrested under Trump. Total radio silence. 
From the beginning, Trump has been warning us about the mainstream media as the number one enemy of the people. And the more I study the subject, the more I understand that Trump is actually correct. The mainstream media uses its power to steer the public into a desired direction. The spreading of disinformation is nothing new. Back in the early 1950s, the CIA set up Operation Mockingbird, a large-scale program in the US with the sole purpose of manipulating news media for propaganda purposes. Leading American journalists were recruited into a propaganda network. In other words, the Secret Service determined what was going to be on TV and in the news. Has anything changed? No, apparently not. German whistleblower Udo Ulfgotter, high-profile journalist for the Frankfurter Allgemeine, stated in front of the camera that he felt deeply ashamed to have consistently lied to the public for over 25 years. I've been a journalist for 25 years. I was uh, educated to lie, to betray, and not to tell the truth to the public. But seeing how, but seeing how the German and the American media <clears throat> try to bring war to the people in Europe, to bring war to Russia, this is the point of no return. I'm going to stand up and say it's not right what I've done in the past to manipulate people to make propaganda against Russia, and it's not right what my colleagues do and have done in the past because they are bribed to betray the people not only in Germany but all over Europe. Ulfgotter died of a heart attack shortly after in January 2017. The illusion of choice. We think there are so many channels, how could they all be in on it? Well, that's easy. This shows you who owns whom. Do you see it? There are only four companies. CBS. So AT&T, Time Warner, CNN, Warner Brothers, CW, TBS, TNT, DC, HBO, Cartoon Network, Walt Disney, ABC, Fox, 21st Century Fox, Pixar, Marvel Studios, National Geographic, ESPN, Comcast, NBC, Sky, and Telemundo, Viacom, Paramount Pictures, MTV, Nickelodeon, and uh, just says Black Entertainment, uh, as well as CBS. Seems to be independent, but is owned by the same billionaire as Viacom. When you give people the illusion of choice, they believe they are free. And if you want to find out why the mainstream media push the liberal agenda down our throats, all you have to do is follow the money. Who paid major contributions to Hillary Clinton to support her work and the liberal agenda? That's right. CNN, NBC, News Corporation, Turner Broadcasting, Thomson Reuters, Newsmax Media, Time Warner, Viacom, Comcast, HBO, AOL, Hollywood Foreign Press Association, Public Radio International, Public Broadcasting Service, Huffington Post Media Group, Carla Slim, the largest shareholder of the New York Times, James Murdoch of 21st Century Fox, Judy Woodruff, co-anchor and managing editor of PBS NewsHour, Howard Stringer, former president of CBS, 
George Stephanopoulos, ABC News chief anchor and chief political correspondent, Maud Zuckerman, owner of New York Daily News and US News and World Report, and The Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos of Amazon, well known for its censorship of quite a few books on controversial topics. Censorship is one of the greatest dangers to a democracy and to freedom of speech. Three more major sponsors of Hillary Clinton are Google, Twitter and Facebook. Google and its YouTube are highly active in the field of censorship, just like Twitter and Facebook. It will come as no surprise that pro-Trump posts are among the most censored ones, as are posts of critical thinkers and researchers and anyone who dares question the official narrative of events such as the ones I presented in part one. Pro-Hillary posts are never censored. Doesn't that make you wonder? Remember Correct the Record and Media Matters for America? Those are the kind of censorship companies that work behind the scenes of Facebook, Twitter, Google and YouTube to delete anything that opposes the liberal agenda. And guess what? Correct the Record is now promoted by AFAS, the global activist network that I once thought so highly of. AFAS was co-founded by ResPublica and MoveOn. ResPublica received $250,000 from George Soros. MoveOn got $1.6 from Soros. AFAS's founding president and executive director Rickon Patel has consulted for the Rockefeller Foundation, the UN, the Gates Foundation and the International Crisis Group with Soros as chairman and Frank Justra as CEO. Remember our friend with the pedophile logo from part four? Afaz's co-founder is Tom Periello, former Virginia congressman, best buddies with Obama and executive director of the Open Society Foundations of George Soros, one of the main parties behind the notorious and destabilizing migrant caravan invasion. It will come as no great surprise that Afaz strongly opposes President Trump. This is what we call controlled opposition. Like I said, censorship is dangerous. The so-called fact-checkers are dangerous. Snopes is one of them. Set up by a couple from San Fernando Valley, David and Barbara Mickelson. The couple fell out. Barbara accused David of spending 98 grand on prostitutes, which is probably true as he divorced Barbara and married cool girl and porn star Elisa Young, aka Erin Abrin, who is now Snopes' administrator. Snopes' only fact-checker is Kim LaCapria, also known as sex and fetish blogger Vice Vixen. That, my friends, is fact-checker Snopes. There are no researchers, no investigators, no lawyers, no documents to support their findings, and they are strongly politically biased. Yet, they are generally accepted as fact-checker. I find that most shocking. Do you get the picture? Operation Mockingbird never ended. John Podesta, one of the key suspects in the Pizzagate scandal, got his own column in the Washington Post, writing about politics and policies. 
How the hell is he supposed to give an objective view of Trump, his worst enemy? John Brennan, head of the CIA till 2017, now serves as senior analyst for NBC News and MSNBC. Anderson Cooper worked for the CIA before he became a news anchor. According to himself, it was only an internship when he was 19, but I wonder how many young men are approached by the CIA for an internship. Anderson did not even have the proper education to be offered a job. Yet in no time he became the face of CNN. The secret services still decide what the people are supposed to think and believe. If they want to invade yet another country, they will use the mainstream media to make you believe that that particular country needs to be freed of a terrible dictator who kills his own people. The real reason for the invasion will quite likely never be known to the public. It'll probably have to do with oil. Or the installment of yet another Rothschild bank, but hey, who cares? It was in the news that they freed those poor people from their dictator, and that democracy was bestowed upon them. And if it's in the news, it's true. End of story. Well, no, it's not. If the media coverage is controlled by secret services, it seems only logical to me to focus on the things they refuse to cover or ridicule. Number one topic that comes to mind: PizzaGate, debunked by the mainstream media like nothing else. Let's continue with a bit of additional research in part seven. So that was part one, and pretty interesting stuff for part one. And this is why I continue to say: make sure you do your own research. Make sure you're researching it yourself because. You can't believe everything that you see on the news. It's like, well, if it's on TV and it's on the news, then it must be true. So we're gonna jump into part seven here, and we'll play part seven, and it gets more interesting. It gets more interesting. Here we go, folks. This is Marina Abramovic, a Serbian performance artist who likes to display the limits of the body and the possibilities of the mind. She pioneered a new notion of identity by focusing on confronting pain, blood, and physical limits of the body. Let's have a look at her work. In 1996, Abramovich introduced Spirit Cooking, a cookbook with essential aphrodisiac recipes, some of which call for the mixture of fresh breast milk and sperm milk. When WikiLeaks posted this. Definitely had my attention. Spirit cooking later took on the form of dinner party entertainment for her donors and friends. The link to cannibalism is obvious. Abramovich furthermore made her appearance in the leaked Podesta emails. Why am I not surprised? I discovered this photo of Abramovich and John of God. Exactly, the very same Brazilian healer who was recently arrested and charged with multiple accounts of abduction, abuse, rape, child trafficking, and murder. The very same personal healer of Bill Clinton. This picture is particularly interesting for the Dutch viewers. 
Before Willem-Alexander became king of the Netherlands, his mother Beatrix was on the throne. She frequented Abramovich's performances. On this particular occasion, she wore a brooch that seems to be a pizza slice. Now this may be far-fetched, but let's see. Meet Maxima Zorgieta, born in Argentina and now married to our king, Willem-Alexander van Oranje-Nassau, and daughter of the late Jorge Zorgieta, who served as cabinet minister during the so-called Dirty War of dictator Jorge Videla. Maxima had four sisters and two brothers. One of her sisters is Dolores, an artist who came to the Netherlands in 2005 to exhibit her work. The exhibition was called Love Romance. Have a look for yourself. Is it just me or is this insane? To me, this looks like an outcry for help from a severely traumatized woman. In June 2018, Maxima's younger sister, Inez, was found dead in her apartment, hung with a scarf from a doorknob. Doorknobs have proven to be lethal for quite a few people lately. In other words, not suicide, but murder. Was Inez Sorgieta about to spill the beans on the cabal? Is that why she was silenced? Could this be true? Let's have a look at some other doorknob victims. Number one, Lorraine Scott, fashion designer and former girlfriend of Nathan Rothschild, one of the world's most wealthy families. According to a longtime lover, Mick Jagger, Lorraine was not suicidal. Number two, Chris Cornell, lead singer of the rock band Soundgarden and Audio Slave. According to his family, he suffered from depression due to being sexually abused as a child. He and his wife founded the Chris and Vicky Cornell Foundation to support children suffering the consequences of abuse and neglect. He and his best friend, Chester Bennington, were working on exposing an elite pedophile ring. Cornell was also the main financial backer for the documentary The Silent Children about child sex trafficking. After he died, the project was cancelled. According to his family, Cornell was not suicidal at the time of his death. Interesting detail contradicting the suicide theory was the blood on his head and on the ground. Was Cornell killed by a stroke on the head and strangulation by means of his exercise belt? Number 3. Chester Bennington Best friend of Chris Cornell and lead singer of Linkin Park. He died two months after Cornell. Bennington also suffered from depression due to being sexually abused as a child by a friend of the family. According to some sources, that friend was John Podesta, key player in Pizzagate. And when you look at the striking resemblance, Podesta could well be Chester's biological father. When Chester was nine years old, his father abandoned the family after finding out the boy was not his son. Was Podesta both the pedophile family friend and the biological father of Chester Bennington? Is it a coincidence that the logo of his band looks like a broken version of the young boy lover symbol? Number 4. Tim Bergling, aka Avicii 
world-famous Swedish DJ, musician and record producer. According to the first news about his apparent suicide, Bergling was said to have hung himself from a doorknob. Later on, the narrative was changed into self-inflicted cuts with a broken wine bottle that led to heavy and lethal bleeding. It took almost two weeks for this official narrative to be published. Bergling's 2015 video clip for A Better Day clearly and shockingly shows child sex trafficking. At the end of the video clip, Bergling turns out to play the part of the abused boy, now grown up and ready to take revenge on his abusers. Did he actually experience these horrors in his childhood? Was he murdered for bringing this out into the open? Bergling's family believes he did commit suicide, yet his girlfriend expressed her disbelief. Number 5. Annabelle Nielsen, ex-wife of Nathan Rothschild, who also lost Lorenz Scott through hanging, remember? According to her family, she died of a stroke, but according to friends, she was found hanging by a scar from a doorknob. Number 6. Aaron Swartz, computer programmer and activist for internet freedom, for which he founded Demand Progress and Reddit. He died after hacking into MIT and JSTOR. Schwartz was arrested and charged with computer fraud. However, one week after his alleged suicide, it became apparent that Schwartz had leaked the hack documents to WikiLeaks. One can only speculate as to the contents. Number 7. Kate Spade, American fashion designer. Spade led delegations to Haiti for the No Ceilings initiative of the Clinton Foundation, aimed at the global support of women and girls. Haiti is one of the main places on earth for child trafficking and we've already seen the involvement of the Clintons in part 4. What did Kate Spade know that led to her death? Why did her husband Andy appear in public two days after her death wearing a rat mask? Was Kate about to rat to betray the Clintons? Was Andy Spade forced to wear the mask as a warning to others who just might rat? Number 8. Anthony Bourdain Celebrity chef, TV presenter and author Bourdain openly criticised Hillary Clinton on multiple occasions. He spoke out strongly against globalisation and deeply hoped Henry Kissinger would be called out for the war crimes he committed. Bourdain had been to pedophile island Haiti to shoot an episode for his TV programme No Reservations. A month before his death, he posted a tweet about the wrath of Hillary Clinton he had experienced. Followed by this one, even more outcalling. And then Bourdain died a sudden and unexpected death. So, what are we dealing with here? The world has obviously gone mad. We've already seen the normalization of pedophilia. Now the elite takes it a level higher, worshipping the devil and normalizing cannibalism. You don't believe me? Watch this. Is this really the sign of the devil? Oh yes. Meet Anton LaVey, founder of the Church of Satan, 
giving the exact same sign. The same Church of Satan Chelsea Clinton is so fond of. The upside-down pentagram containing the horned one plus the upside-down cross is all there. So, we have Satan. We have blood. We have body parts. We have cannibalism. Statues of Moloch, an expression of the devil, are now watching over several American cities. And only recently a new one was placed in Rome. Let's go back to the Dutch royal family and see how far this insanity goes. You've already met King Willem-Alexander and his beautiful Argentinian wife Maxima. They both have very interesting fathers. Maxima's father, Jorge Zorigueta, was Minister of Agriculture in the regime of General Jorge Videla, a military dictator who ruled Argentina from 1976 till 1981 and who was responsible for the kidnapping, torture and murder of an estimated 30,000 people. As part of the Videla government, Zorigueta must have known about the atrocities but he claimed not to have been aware of the so-called dirty war. In 2006, Zorigieta was discredited once again during a lawsuit against the top of the Banco Republica for money laundering the profits of drugs and weapons trade. Zorigieta was on the board of directors between 86 and 96, the time of major deals between the bank and drug cartels. But once again, he came out clean due to bribery and corruption. His daughter Maxima didn't meet Willem-Alexander until 1999 in Spain. At least that is the official narrative, which is weird as the Dutch royal family had known the Zorigietas for generations. Why did they lie about that? Prince Bernhard, Willem-Alexander's grandfather, frequented Argentina and the Zorigietas even before World War II. Both families had a holiday mansion in Bariloche, a ski area with mostly German visitors and inhabitants. As a matter of fact, Bariloche was a Nazi den where many SSers and Nazi scientists went during Operation Paperclip. I was taught in school that the Nazi leaders were all convicted in the Nuremberg trials, that justice was served. But did you know that only 10 Nazis were hanged and only 7 went to jail? That's it! The big Nuremberg trials? Only 17 of them? Did you actually think, like I did, they all got what they deserved? Well, think again. They had way too much knowledge. Most of them were welcomed with open arms. NATO, NASA, they all loved them. Many SSers, scientists and engineers did not go to the US but to South America instead, especially after their retirement. Argentina was very popular among them, especially the inhabitable Patagonia, where they were safe from post-war Nazi hunters. Bariloche was such a place. Big Nazi names such as Erich Priebke, responsible for and actively participating in the killing of 335 Italian men and boys in 1944. Reinhard Kops, 
SS officer who helped many Nazis escape to Argentina after the war. Josef Mengele, the angel of death from Death Camp Auschwitz, where he performed horrific experiments on children. And Adolf Eichmann, one of the major organizers of the Holocaust, all lived in Bariloche, later the favorite ski location of the Dutch royal family and the Zorgietas. Both King Willem Alexander's father and his grandfather were German. Both were part of the Nazi movement. Klaus von Amsberg, Willem Alexander's father, was a member of the Hitler Youth. His parents were active participants in Hitler's NSDAP. When journalist Wim Klinkenberg wrote an article about Prince Klaus's Nazi past in Panorama magazine of December 1965, Dutch Prime Minister Kals personally interfered. He was tipped about the contents of the article in which clear evidence was presented that completely contradicted the official story about our prince's past. Kals ordered all 420,000 magazines that had only just been printed to be destroyed. Incriminating evidence, documents, letters, etc. against the Dutch royal family were stolen from journalist Klinkenberg's home. The people of the Netherlands were not to find out about the dark side of the royal family. King Willem Alexander's grandfather, Bernhard von Lippe-Bisterfeld, was member of Hitler's NSDAP, the SA and the SS, where he served Himmler's elite cavalry, the Equestrian SS. During the Nuremberg trials, the Equestrian SS was the only division that was not prosecuted, so that Bernhard von Lippe-Bisterfeld, by that time married to the Dutch queen, Juliana van Oranje-Nassau, would remain safe from prosecution and from scrutiny. Do you realize how much power the Dutch royal family must have had to accomplish this? I wonder how many Dutch people know about this. I was taught in school that Bernard was a war hero, that he served the British Secret Service, that he even wanted all 200 Dutch SS's executed at the end of the war. So many lies. At his wedding with Queen Juliana, the orchestra was asked to play the Nazi song of the NSDAP. The director of the orchestra, Peter van Androoy, refused, as did some of the musicians. But Bernhard made it happen. The song was played, many guests offered the Nazi salute, and the musicians who had been willing to play the song were later rewarded with a medal. During the war, Royal Shell gave millions of tons of crude oil to Hitler for free, a deal set up by Prince Bernhard. The crude oil was used for the Nazi tanks to invade and conquer the Netherlands. The people of the Netherlands were handed over to the Nazis by their royal family. Most Dutch people are completely unaware of this, even though these facts are quite easy to find when you start searching for the truth. We've just never been told. Bernard was corrupt to the core. He accepted a major bribe 1.1 million dollars from Lockheed in 1976. He was scrutinized for being president of the Worldwide Fund for Nature and the Prince Bernard Nature Fund while being a passionate hunter and killer. More about Bernard's hunting parties in a bit. Bernard was a notorious womanizer. The maids of the royal palaces were terrified of him 
and knew very well they had to keep their doors locked at night. He had several illegitimate children, two of whom he officially acknowledged, Alexia and Alicia. Juicy little detail is that Alicia's mother was the daughter of Nazi test pilot Hannah Reich and Werner von Braun. That's right, the Nazi rocket scientist who was welcomed by the US in 1945 during Operation Paperclip to continue his work for NASA. Werner von Braun and Bernhard both had served in Himmler's cavalry, the Equestrian SS. They went way back. In 1952, Bernard visited his old buddy Werner and took advantage of his daughter and left her pregnant. After that, he was no longer on speaking terms with the mother of his illegitimate child, as he put it himself. Bernard was a much more powerful assessor than most people realize. Before, during and after World War II, he cherished and maintained his contact and friendships with other SS officers both in Argentina, where he went on so-called trade missions for the Netherlands, and in Germany, which has always been denied by the royal family and the Dutch Central Intelligence Agency. Bernard also founded the Bilderberg Group, where political and industrial leaders gather once a year to discuss, well, nobody really knows, as it's highly secretive. You can only become part of this exclusive group upon invitation. When Prime Minister Lunds tried to enter the conference in 1977, he was literally thrown out. There's one thing all researchers agree on. The Bilderberg group is definitely cabal. There's one more thing Bernard was known for, and this is where it gets really dirty. It's the main reason why I put so much emphasis on our royal family. And this is something everybody needs to know. Come quickly to part eight. Okay, so that's the end there of the little two-parter. Little two-parter. And that's all I have for you guys. Uh, but very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a conspiracy guy, just a little bit. Like, I believe certain things, and then you watch this, and... It's kind of makes sense, and then you start thinking, God, am I crazy? Like, am I, am I, am I crazy? But it starts to make sense. I even showed it to my fiance. She thinks it makes sense, and she is like, she's not necessarily that type of person. So it's very interesting. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. And on the next one, I'll be doing. Uh, I'll probably do nine and eight and nine. I might do 8, 9, and 10. I don't know. I might throw 10 in there, which would be three episodes. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll do 9 and 10 and then say, or uh, 8 and 9, and then I'll save uh, 10 for a separate one. So that is all I have for you guys. I don't have anything else. If you were listening to this, head over to YouTube and search us up, and you can watch the video. Subscribe, ring the bell. I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for watching Nate and Friends. I really appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and are enjoying this little mini series. If you're listening to this and you want to see the video, please head over to Nate and Friends on YouTube and subscribe and ring and do all that special stuff for us. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. And I'll see you guys on the next one.